If you've got a Bible this morning, I would ask you to open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 this morning, we're the second week in our series, The Wonder of Christmas. And every week we're, we're looking at the Christmas story, a different aspect of it. And uh, this morning, uh, as the skit illustrated, this morning we want to talk about these shepherds that we find in Luke chapter 2. And, and the, the title of the message this morning is simply The Significance of the Shepherds. And uh, many of you know this story. Many of you probably have a nativity scene or something with, you know, shepherds and wise men and all those different things, and, and that's all great. And uh, this morning, as we look at this passage, <clears throat> we're going to be able to, to learn some things that I think God has for us uh, about His Son, Jesus Christ, as the Good Shepherd, but also about us as shepherds and how we are to take the message of the gospel, just like Corey illustrated. We're to take that message to the world, and, uh, and God, God commissioned the very first people to, ta- to task with that message, he tasked it to shepherds, and it's really cool uh, when, we, when we study this. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, let me read the passage, and then we'll get to work. You've got notes in your, in your seat, you've got notes on your uh, church app if you want to follow along. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and out of the city of Nazareth into Judea and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go down unto Bethlehem and see the thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept those things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard as it was told unto them. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the skit. Thank you for the the time of praise and worship, God. It's all about you. And Lord, as, as we learn from your word this morning, God, would your Holy Spirit... Just take your word, reveal it to us plainly and clearly through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear, God, and an attentive heart and spirit and a willing mind to do what you called us to do. Lord, we trust you. We, we pray that you bless us and, and instruct us today, and we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2 is a, is a familiar passage. Many, many of us go to Luke chapter 2 and in Matthew during this time of year for Christmas. And, and man, as we get into this passage, I, honestly, the more I studied this this week, the more I was like, we need about a month uh, just for these 20 verses. 
I noticed you didn't pack a lunch today, so we're going to have to move quickly this morning. But, but as we begin Luke chapter 2, I want you to know that there's a lot going on contextually that sets up this chapter. There, there's a lot that we can learn in Bible study. And again, man, the time doesn't, doesn't serve us this morning. But, but I will tell you that as this chapter opens, you have a decree from a world leader that the entire world should be taxed. You have a one-world government, you have a one-world ruler, and a one-world economy, and that sounds a whole lot like the tribulation period to me. In Daniel chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, and this isn't in your notes, but God talks about there will stand a razor of taxes in the glory of the kingdom, and that's not your federal government, but maybe it is. And within a few days, he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle, and his estate and in his estate shall stand up a vile person, whom they shall not give honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And Daniel chapter 11 is a prophecy concerning the end times and concerning the governmental structures of this world that will ultimately set up the Antichrist kingdom. And it's very interesting that in Luke chapter 2, you have a worldwide taxation that everyone has to be a part of. That, that system that was in place in Luke chapter 2 absolutely was satanic in nature. That IRS, will, the Internal Revenue Service that we understand, one day will be replaced by the International Revenue Service. And man, the, the devil will set up his one world kingdom. But, but just as the devil is working to prevent prophecy in Luke chapter 2, because the devil knows that the Savior of the world has to come through Bethlehem, just as the devil is trying to prevent prophecy, God is working to fulfill prophecy. And, and let me just give you some references to write down. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, Ruth chapter 4 verse 11, or just a, a few verses. But, but the prophecies about Bethlehem are so significant because because he that is, is going to be the ruler in Israel is going to come through Bethlehem. And that was prophesied in Scripture. And so as we get into Luke chapter 2 concerning the birth of Christ and the shepherds and all these different things, you need to know that there's a bigger picture that God's painting in Luke chapter 2. It's not just historical, but it's prophetic, showing you that again, man, the Lord's going to fulfill his word even in the end times concerning Israel's deliverer. But man, you know, we, didn't, we don't have time for all that this morning. We need to talk about these shepherds. And I, and I want to share with you this morning the significance of the shepherds. And, and, and we need to get the narrative our, of our nativity right. Because as we open Luke chapter 2, we see that the shepherds are the ones that see the babe, Lord Jesus Christ. They are the ones that come and see him in the manger. They are the first witnesses of the incarnation. In other words, God manifest in the flesh outside of Joseph and Mary. They are the first witnesses of God, the God man, God in the flesh. And that's really cool to me. Why did God, why did God allow shepherds to be the first witnesses of his incarnation? Well, I think God has a a heart for the shepherd. And as we study the Bible over and over, there there are key men in the Bible that were shepherds, and many of them were good men, and many of them are pictures of Christ. And I know you're, you're itching to get the blanks, but we're not even close to the blanks yet, so you've got a, a blank on the backside, and, and you can write down any of this that you want. But, but as, as we open the Bible, do you know that in Genesis chapter 4, we're introduced to the very first shepherd, human shepherd. His name's Abel. 
And there were two brothers, right? Cain and Abel. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 4 that Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in those two men, you have a perfect picture of Christ and Antichrist. You have a, a good shepherd and you have a religious man that is wicked and a murderer. Right out of the shoot in the Bible. God has a heart for the shepherd. Abel is a picture of Christ. Jacob and his 12 sons or the 12 tribes of Israel were shepherds. As a matter of fact, when they end up in Egypt in Genesis chapter 46, when they bring their family and their flocks to Egypt, the Bible says in Genesis 46 and verse 34 that every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. You see, you see there's something about a shepherd that, the, that Egypt doesn't like. And, and if you're a student of the Bible, if you've been at this church for any amount of time, you know that Egypt is a type or a picture of the world. It's a picture of the lost world. It's a picture of bondage and sin. Egypt is the place that God delivered Israel from through the blood of a lamb. And so in your Bible, in the typology, Egypt is always negative. It's always bad. And it is interesting that every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. That's very interesting to me. So, so what that means is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, in the world's eyes is an abomination. And by the way, every pastor that's a shepherd in the world's eyes is an abomination. And if you do ministry like a shepherd, the way God tells you to do ministry in his word, because all ministry is shepherd ministry. If you do ministry like that, if you lead people and guide people through the word of God with grace and sometimes firmness as needed, listen, you are doing ministry like a shepherd and the world hates it. It's an abomination to the world. But God has a heart for the shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. In Exodus 3 and verse 1, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock on the backside of the de desert. David, one of the most famous men in the Bible, was a shepherd before he was ever a king. One of the greatest types of Christ in the Bible. And ultimately, all of this points to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just listen to these verses. Hebrews 13 and verse 20 says that Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 25 says that Christ is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. You say you need a shepherd. And, and, and the shepherd is Christ. He, he is a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. 1 Peter 5 and verse 4 says that he is the chief shepherd. John chapter 10 verse 11, Christ himself says that I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And man, as we study the scriptures, there is just something special about shepherds in the Bible. There's something special about sheep, but there's something special about a shepherd that cares and leads and guides and feeds the sheep because all of that points to the person of Christ. And so listen, I know we haven't even gotten to the message yet. This is an introduction, but here's the point. You need a shepherd in your life. You need a shepherd and you need a good shepherd. You need a great shepherd. You need the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. You need a, you need a shepherd. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says like, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We are that sheep that is wandering, that is stubborn, that's clueless, that's in danger. We don't even realize the danger that we face. Man, there are, there are, there are, 
natural predatory enemies of sheep, wolves, lions, that want to devour sheep. And spiritually, we have enemies that want to devour us and we're clueless. And we wander and go astray. The Bible says that we've turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. We are like sheep without a shepherd. And that's why you need to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need someone that can guide you, protect you, feed you, and love you like a shepherd loves sheep. We need Christ. And so, and so, and so we want to get the narrative of your nativity right because, no offense, uh, man, these shepherds show up when Christ is a babe. And we're not going to take the time this morning, but if you go to Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men show up, Christ is a young child. And, 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 and there's a difference between a young child and a babe. And all of you in this church know the differences because those two words are spelled different, right? A young child is different than a babe, and a babe is different than a young child because there are different letters in the words. Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men show up, the Bible says that, that Christ was a young child. Also in Matthew 2 and verse 16, Herod, because of the, the mockery of the wise men, he killed all the children in Bethlehem that were two years old and under. And so the wise men show up on the scene about two years after the shepherds. I'm not telling you to take down your nativity. Okay, I'm not, I'm not telling you to, you know, it, but I am saying, man, let's, let's let the Bible be the authority. Let's get the narrative of, of the nativity right because the people that saw Christ incarnate first were the shepherds. And there's a reason, because Christ himself is a shepherd. He has a heart for the shepherd. And so, and so let's get into your notes now this morning, because I want to I show you the significance of why these shepherds are so important and what we can learn. Number one, I want to show you the shepherd's location. The Bible says in verse 8 that these shepherds were in the same country. There were shepherds abiding in the field. And this morning, again, many of you that have been a part of our church for any amount of time, man, there's so much ministry principle and devotional application in some of these passages that we just can't pass it up. We want to take note of and make note of some things that are practical. These shepherds belong in a field. And in Matthew 13 and verse 38, the Bible tells us that the field is the world. And shepherds belong in a field tending to their sheep. And so in this world, there are sheep that need to be guided by shepherds. And all of us in this room, by the way, if you're saved, you're a sheep that needs to be guided by a shepherd. And the reason why is because there are wolves, there are false prophets, there are bad shepherds, there are enemies that want to destroy you. Matthew 7 and verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You know, religion's a dangerous thing. And religion is dangerous because something can look like a sheep, sound like a sheep, seem like a shepherd, but, but the motivation is not for the benefit of the sheep and for the glory of God. The motivation is for destruction or motivation of self. And, and, and so God tells us, he warns us that there are false prophets that come to you that look like religious people. They look like sheep, right? But they're actually ravening wolves. And so, and, so, and so, man, these shepherds, shepherds are in the field tending to the sheep that are in the field. And, and, 
Man, we have people on every different level in our church, but I want to focus specifically on some ministry principles that will help all of us. If you're involved in any type of ministry, discipleship, children's ministry, worship ministry, if you're involved in ministry, there's some things you can learn from these shepherds. And here's the first ministry principle. First one is this. You cannot minister to people that you're not with. You can't minister to people you're not with. And and if you want to write the opposite or, or, or the counterpoint to that, you can't be ministered to by people. You can't be ministered to by people you're not with. Okay, and, and, and so for some of us, man, we need to hear this morning that our the extent of our ministry is not Sunday morning from ten o'clock to eleven thirty. That can't be the extent of our ministry, and also that can't be the extent of the opportunity that somebody has to minister to us. Hello, you need coffee. <laughs> Listen, Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30 is one hour. Did you hear about Eric Brown saying, hey, the way I net fish is I build relationships and I spend time with people. And through that, by God's grace, I'm able to share the gospel. I'm able to shepherd people. Man, for some of us, listen, our garage door is our greatest enemy. Because that's the thing that we run to and close to get out of the world. But, but when we do that, we isolate ourselves from the world, and we also isolate ourselves from the sheep. And we also isolate ourselves from the shepherds. And man, biblical ministry happens in the world. There's no other place for it to happen. It happens in the world, and it happens while we abide with the sheep. And man, God has a heart for the shepherd. Number two, I want to show you the shepherd's occupation, because the Bible says in verse 8, that while in the field, here's what the shepherds did. They kept watch over their flock. You see, that's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd watches out for his sheep. Man, he's watching for the sheep. He's watching for their welfare. He's watching to make sure they're fed and they're watered. But he's also watching for the enemy. He's, over, he's, he's taking oversight, as the Bible says. Well, that's what biblical ministry is. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I think that's on the screen. It says, the elders which are among you I exhort. Peter writes, he says, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So he's talking to other ministry leaders. Peter's an apostle, he's an elder, and he's speaking to other elders. Here's what he says that they needed to do. Verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. Okay, so, so part of shepherding is feeding the sheep. And then he says, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. He says, listen, part of ministry is is taking oversight over the sheep, looking over, that's oversight, looking over, watching over the sheep. You need someone and I need someone to watch over me with spiritual concern, like a shepherd. Now, we don't like that, do we? We would rather be that sheep that just likes to wander around on our own without anyone questioning, without anyone correcting, without anyone challenging what we're doing. But biblical ministry is shepherding sheep. Are we okay? and, and, And biblical ministry is leading and feeding. And so get this in your notes. Look, all ministry is shepherding ministry. 
That's what all ministry is. It's ministry like a shepherd does it. That's every aspect of ministry. If you're going to serve in children's ministry, guess what? You're going to have to do it like a shepherd. If you're going to disciple someone, guess what? You're going to have to do it like a shepherd. If you're going to be discipled, you have to be willing to let Jesus Christ, through the body of believers, put somebody in your life to shepherd you. You have to be willing to do that. You see, we need shepherds that feed and lead us. And yeah, for sure, Christ is the chief shepherd. But make no mistake, he utilizes under shepherds to lead and feed his flock. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors. That's the shepherd. Pastors and teachers. Why did God give the body of Christ these giftedness? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see, many of us would say, well, I want Christ to be my shepherd, but Christ alone. Listen, God's going to use men in your life to lead you. He'll use men in your life to lead you. He's always used men to lead. Are we okay with that? Man, listen. If we, if we can't submit to a shepherd, and by the way, if we can't submit to any kind of local church leadership, we're truly not submissive to the chief shepherd. We're truly not interested in being shepherded. We're wandering sheep. And listen, can I just tell you, like, before you think I'm getting on a power trip at Christmas time, uh, I'm not. <laughs> can I just tell you, any shepherd's ability to lead and, flee- and feed his flock is only limited by the sheep's willingness to eat and follow. In other words, this pastor, these pastors at this church can't feed and lead sheep that aren't willing to eat and follow. And we don't walk around with electric shockers to, to make people, okay, no, that, that's not the way it works. But a pastor can't lead and feed sheep that aren't here. And he can't lead and feed sheep that don't have a spiritual appetite. And he can't lead and feed sheep that don't follow. Christ himself can't feed and lead that type of sheep. So quit blaming your pastors for your failure. Man, submit to the word of God. Submit to to pastoral authority in your life and leadership. Man, submit to the good shepherd. Number three, the shepherd's condition. Verse 8 says that, that they were abiding in the field. They were watching over this flock. And they did it at a very specific time. They did it by night. And that's very interesting to me because nighttime is when we need to be sleeping, right? Anybody else struggling with this daylight savings time thing? Uh, okay, it's 4.30 and it's dark. We have a problem, all right? And I'm mad. Like most of you know I'm mad like most of the time anyways, but like <laughs> about 4.35, I get real mad because like I want to do stuff and I'm a busy guy and there's things that need to get done and it's dark outside. And so I need to schedule a meeting with somebody who's making those decisions because... It's not appropriate. I don't want to go to bed at 4.30 in the afternoon. Does that make sense? I'm not going to. <laughs> Man, I'm struggling with that because, because in the night, most people go to sleep. But listen, can I just tell you, it's interesting that these shepherds in the night, they're not sleeping. They're actually watching the sheep. They're awake and aware because they know what time it is. Man, the, the greatest danger comes in the night, right? The enemies come in the night. So John chapter 9, verses 4 to 5, it's important for us biblically to know what time it is on God's calendar. 
when Jesus Christ was on this earth, spiritually speaking, it was daytime. This is a principle you need to get down. John 9, verse 4. It says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Look at what Jesus said in verse 5. As long as I'm in the world, I am the, I'm the light of the world. So when Christ physically was on this earth, it was spiritual daytime. But you know what happened, man. Christ fulfilled his earthly ministry. He gave his life on the cross of Calvary. He resurrected three days later. He spent 40 days with his disciples. And in Acts chapter 1, he ascended to heaven to be with his father. And so when he ascended and he left this world, daytime became night. And it's very interesting that in the night is when a shepherd has to watch the sheep because, man, the next thing that comes after the night is the day. Does that make sense? And the time to do ministry is now in the night. Let me give you just a few references. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 3. It says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the what? In the night. And the day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ. We're talking about the first coming today. But, man, he's coming again. And when he comes again, he won't come as a babe in a manger. He'll come as a conquering king. And he's going to come as a thief in the, in the night. The point is this. Listen, these shepherds, they're, they're laboring. They're watching very specifically in the night. Here's the point. The time to do ministry is now. The point is the time to do ministry is now. The time to work for the Lord and wait and watch for the Lord is now. We can't fall asleep now. We have to get busy because, it, it, listen, when the day comes and Christ returns, the time to serve him is over. And so get this, get this principle in your notes. Look, when the day of the Lord comes, the opportunity to watch and to work will be over. That's it. We're done. And there's no more opportunity, man, to share the gospel, to make disciples, to lead people, to invest the word of God in people when the day comes. Well, the... I know you will argue and say, well, we got the millennium. And we, okay, yeah, fine. But what you do then matters now because what you do then will be dependent on what you did now. You need to labor in the night. You need to be awake. You need to be aware spiritually. Now is not the time to sleep. And I know we don't have any procrastinators in the room. But if we do, by chance... Man, you don't want to procrastinate on, on the ministry God's given you to do. Don't wait. Don't put it off another week, another day, another month, another year. I'll get serious about God later. No, listen, you don't know when the night ends. And then it's over. And you have no time left. Number four, we see the shepherd's revelation. Look at verse nine. So the angel of the Lord came, comes to them in the field as they're taking oversight of their, their sheep and in the night. And the angel of the Lord shows up. That's very interesting because Christ many times is the angel of the Lord in the scripture, but Christ is in the manger. So, so how does that work? You can ask Corey after the service. He'll explain all that in full detail for you. Uh, man, yeah, I, I don't know, man. The angel of the Lord shows up and the glory of the Lord shines around these shepherds. And the Bible says they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, 
which is Christ the Lord. And, and all I know is this, man, when the angel of the Lord shows up and the glory of the Lord is revealed, the right response is always fear. There's nobody that met the angel of the Lord or that came face to face with the glory of God that didn't fear for his life. And so some of the modern nonsense we have in churches, man, listen, if you come face to face with the glory of God and, and the angel of the Lord personally, man, you would be fearing for your life. You wouldn't be dancing, celebrating, running. You, you would be falling on your face as a dead man. Uh, that's the right response. And, of course, the angel of the Lord answers these shepherds and says, Fear not. And then he gives them a revelation of who this babe in the manger is. He is the, the Savior. He is Christ. And he is the Lord. And so there's this, this Trinitarian formula that the angel of the Lord reveals about Christ to these shepherds. Number one, he reveals that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Son who came to give us eternal life through the sacrifice of his life. That's first and foremost who he is. But secondly, Christ is also, Jesus is also the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the anointed one because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. And then thirdly, Jesus is the Lord. That means he's God. He's God in the flesh. I mean, I mean, Jesus said in John 10 and verse 30, Jesus himself said, I and my Father are one. He's called the true God in 1 John 5 and verse 20, just like his Father is called the true God in John 17 and verse 3. Here's what you need to know. The angel revealed to these shepherds, hey, this babe, he is God. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. And so here's the key in your notes. The, 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 the revelation was that Jesus Christ is identified with all three parts of the Trinity. All three. You can't strip away his deity. You can't strip away his anointing. And you can't strip away the fact that he is God in the flesh as a man. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. Listen bodily. You say, how do you, how do you explain that? Uh, I can't explain it any better than that. <laughs> he is God the Father. He is God the Son. He is God the Holy Ghost. He is, he is the embodiment of the Godhead in one. That's who he is. And that's the revelation that the shepherds received from this angel of the Lord. And, and then in verse 12, they get confirmation because in verse 12, it says this, this, this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was an angel of, uh, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And, and so, and so the, the shepherds were given a guarantee, if you will. There's going to be a sign that's going to prove what I've said to you is true. And here's the sign. That this babe is going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and that he's going to be laid in a manger. And what's interesting is if you study the book of Luke in verse 7 and in verse 12 and in verse 16, three times it says that's the sign. He's going to be wrapped and he's going to be laid. And, and when you see that, when you see this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and you see him laid down in this manger, you're going to know that that's the God-man that I was talking about. Does that, does that make sense? You guys, you tracking that? So, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 tells us that the Jews require a sign. 
and the Greeks seek after wisdom. And so God is validating the revelation to the Jews with a sign. And man, listen, can I just tell you, this is a powerful sign in the Scripture. You say, what's a big deal about the fact that he's wrapped up and he's laid in a manger? What is so significant about that? Well, if you study the Bible and you start studying those words through Scripture, you're going to find that the way that Christ was presented at his birth is the same way that he experienced his death. Let me give it to you. Here's the key. From the very instance that Jesus Christ was born, God gives us a picture of his purpose, that Jesus was born to die for the sins of the world. And listen, here's the second key. Jesus' body was wrapped and laid at his birth just like it was wrapped and laid at his death. Let me give it to you. Luke 23, verses 50 to 53. And just bear with me because we we have three New Testament passages that show the end of Christ's life that validate the three passages in Luke that show how he was wrapped and laid at the beginning because God is a God of order. Look at Luke 23, verse 50. Behold, there was a man named Joseph. This is at the end of Christ's life, after the crucifixion. A counselor. He was a good man and just. The same had not consented to the counsel and the deed of them. And he was of Arimathea, the city of the Jews, whom also waited for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate, right, after the crucifixion. And he begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and he wrapped it in linen. And he laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, where never man before was laid. Mark chapter 15, verses 45 and 46, it says, When he knew of it, the centurion, he gave him the body to, he gave the body to Joseph, and he brought fine linen, and he took, he took him down, and he wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a sepulcher that was hewn out of a rock. And again, John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42, the Bible says in verse 40 that they took the body of Jesus and they wound it in linen clothes. And in verse 42, it says they laid Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. He was wrapped and he was laid. You say, what is the significance of that? It's a sign that his birth pointed to his death. It was a sign that the only way that this good news of, of peace and goodwill toward men could be accomplished, the only way it could be accomplished was that Christ was wrapped and that he was laid down. That his life was given for your sin and for mine. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. And the question is, have you accepted this worthy statement? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. So since Christ came to save sinners, listen, only sinners need apply. You know, that's the reality that we all have to come to to terms with is that, that, that Christ came, that babe in the manger was wrapped and he was laid in a manger. And the angel said, this is going to be a sign to these shepherds. A sign of what? A sign that, that Christ gave his life for our sin. And man, listen, there has to be a point in your life where number one, you understand that your sin has separated you from a holy God. You have to come to a place in your life where you realize, according to the word of God, that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory and that the wages of sin is death and we've broken God's law ourselves. 
individually, personally, that only through this person of Christ can we be forgiven and saved. You know, you know when we, we on that previous point, we, we said that Jesus Christ is the Savior. The Savior, what does that mean? It means He's able to save us. Well, what's He able to save us from? From the penalty of our sin. You need to know that you need to be saved from your sin. You have a sin that, that uh, a sin nature that's contrary to God, it's opposed to God. And listen, man, that, that's what Christ can do. He was born to die. He was swaddled and wrapped and laid in a manger. And by the way, all that happened in a place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means, the name Bethlehem means the house of bread. By the way, that manger is also what you would feed an animal from. It's a trough. And so in that, in that manger was laid the very bread of life, given for the sin of the world, given so that anyone that would believe could have eternal life through him. That's the sign. Look at verse 6, the shepherd's investigation, verse 15. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one to another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And, and can I just show you that, man, these shepherds didn't hesitate. When they received the revelation of God's word from the angel of the Lord, they responded without hesitation. Let us now go and see. And the Bible says they came with haste. Here's the key in your notes, man. Any revelation that God gives us demands a response. It demands a response. When we hear God's word, it ought to stir in our heart an opportunity, a, a right response that, man, we want to go see and hear what God is saying, God is saying to us. Can, can I just tell you, there are people that have heard the gospel and they didn't respond right. They didn't respond with haste. They didn't respond with interest. They didn't respond with, with eagerness. They probably didn't respond at all. But can I just tell you, that's not only for the lost people, that's for saved people too. Because listen, God gives us his word every Sunday and every Wednesday in this place. And when we hear God's word, it demands a response. We ought to respond in haste. Man, let's go see what God has for us in these passages. Let's apply these things to our life. Let's look into the things that God gives us from his word. You see, these shepherds, man, they were investigative. They weren't oblivious. They weren't haphazard. They weren't flippant. They wanted to see if what was told them was really true. Man, God, help us to be a people that respond rightly to God's word. Man, when we hear God's word from the pulpit, when we hear it in a discipleship relationship, when we hear it in a counseling session, let us be a people that respond rightly with haste and eagerness because it's God's word. And man, it's goodwill toward us and it's peace toward us. Look at verse 7, or, or point number 7, I'm sorry, verse 17, the shepherd's proclamation. So they go to Bethlehem and, and the Bible says when they, see, they, when they had seen it, when they seen this babe wrapped and laid in the manger, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the prophets. But Mary kept these things in their, 
uh, kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Man, can I just tell you that, that when they saw the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, wrapped and laid in that manger, when they saw the Word of God fulfilled in their life, man, can I tell you, it changed them. They, they actually couldn't stop talking about it. They proclaimed and made known that saying. And, and the saying that the angel told them to make known was, there's good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. And all means all, by the way. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see, the shepherds, they were tasked to proclaim the good tidings, the good news. You could even say the gospel. They were tasked to proclaim the gospel to all people. And they did. They did. And so, and so here's, the, here's the key, and, and we'll wrap this thing down. But, but look, look in your notes, it, it, the last blank, man. Here's the good news. The good news is that in the night, right now, in this time that we call the church age, spiritual night, Christ is not here physically on this earth. But the good news is that in the night, there is bread available to all people from which they can experience peace. What greater news is there than that? That right now, that right now, what is available is the person of Jesus Christ that gave his life for our sin, that is the bread of life, that is available to all nations, all people, every tribe, nation, and tongue. And that through him, man, we can experience true peace. Man, that's the greatest news on the planet. Listen, I'm looking at a room full of shepherds. If you're saved, God's revealed that message to you so you can reveal it to others. You can reveal it to others. Can you go back to verse 18 real quick and then we'll, we'll close it down? I, I want to just make this point because we have an evangelism uh, workshop going on every couple of weeks. And, and, and I think it's important to go back to verse 18. It says, all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. You see, the shepherds did their job. They went out and proclaimed the good news, the good tidings. The response of people was they, they wondered at it. Huh, I wonder, I wonder if that's really true. It doesn't say they responded in faith. It doesn't say they went to Bethlehem themselves. It doesn't say anything other than they wondered. They had wonder at those things. And here's what I want you to understand. You're not tasked to elicit a response. You're just tasked to proclaim a message. As we study the Bible, we see that there's always only three responses to the gospel. We get it out of Acts chapter 17. When Paul preached in Acts 17, verse 32, it says, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. And I just want to challenge us, man, if we understand that we are tasked to take the good news of Christ to the world. And that includes our neighbor and the people we work with. We need to understand that there's going to be three responses when we share the gospel. Number one, people are going to believe it. I hope you believed it. So there's potential for others to believe it. Number two, some people are going to mock. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You mean to tell me that, that through this babe in a manger that you say is the God-man, that you can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Yes. Yes. 
That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay, well, well, you can mock it, but it doesn't change the truth of it. And then thirdly, there will be people that will say, hey, let me hear you again on this matter. And, and praise the Lord for that. Let me just warn. If you look at verse 33, when, when they told Paul, hey, we want to hear more about, about what you just said, Paul left. <laughs> what a jerk, right? So, so the point is, once you hear the gospel, man, there's no guarantee that you're going to have the opportunity to hear it again. It's better to just go ahead and respond rightly. And, and can I also say that even as a Christian, man, when God gives you truth that lands in your lap, in your life, right where you are, and he gives you something that exactly fits the context of what, what you need right now, well, it's, it's better to go ahead and respond to that right then. Because there's no guarantee that's ever coming back around. Uh, I'll hear you. I, I want to hear about that more later. And Paul said, I'm out. See you. And he departed. And so, and so, man, let me just encourage us. Listen, as, as, as people tasked to take that message to the world, don't get caught up in the responses. Get caught up in the, the proclamation of what God has told us to proclaim. That there's bread available, man, in Bethlehem. That there's a babe in a manger that was swaddled and laid down because it points to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for our sin. And it's only through him that we can have peace. And who wouldn't want that? You're not going to get it any other way. Finances aren't going to make it. Relationships aren't going to make it. A perfect government is not going to make it. By the way, a perfect government ain't coming until the millennium. And it'll be Christ on the throne. So, man, let, let's just respond to the gospel, right? And for us in the room, let's, let's be willing to be shepherded by the good shepherd. Let's be willing to be shepherded by God's leaders. And let's shepherd other people for the glory of God with the time we have left. Amen? All right, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll get up out of here.